Hello everyone, this is Word with Dave Clay. So if somebody comes up and says, <laughs> I've got a piece of advice for you that's going to extend the longevity, the length of your life. And with that, not only will you live longer, uh, have a higher probability of living longer, but the quality of your life would be very, very much improved, uh, advantaged from this piece of advice. And uh, I want to give it to you, and there's really no cost associated with it. It's free, or if we don't want to call it free, because sometimes free means it's not worth anything. But if we would just say, but it's just me or them wanting to offer you something that will better not only your life, but all of our lives, society. Would you do it? (laughs) Of course, You can ask all the important questions like, well, how do you know it's true? How are you, uh, at this particular point, able to really help me understand that, that what you're about to tell me has been studied and tested and researched, that would be the right word, sufficient for me to then try it? Is there any risk? What's the profit loss? What's the advantages to it versus the disadvantages? And then, of course, they, or in this case me, I would say there's really not much in the way of disadvantage, except you will have to lose a certain part of yourself, a certain portion of yourself. And really, in that way, there is always a cost, right? Nothing's free. Psychology Today Looking at May-June 2023 edition, under the health section, supplemental science, how to maintain your brain, can a Mediterranean diet pumped up with plant polyphenols delay brain aging by Hara Estroff Morano. The likelihood that an American will be a centenarian a centenarian is today twice what it was two decades ago. The numbers are still small, about 90,000 in 2020, up from 50,000 in 2000, but they're definitely on an upward trajectory. Credit, at least in part, a growing awareness of disease risk factors, smoking being the most notable one, especially for cardiovascular disease, still the single single largest cause of death, 33% among the aging. The prevalence of age-related dementia is declining among Americans as well. And for the same reason, apparently, education. Awareness encourages people to protect their health. But before you break out the champagne, consider a sobering statistic from the Alzheimer's Association. One in three seniors still dies with some form of dementia. Age, of course, is the strongest risk factor for neurodegenerative conditions. The brain normally shrinks with age starting at midlife, and there are changes at every level from molecules to memory, loss of neurons, contraction of dendrites, reduced synaptic plasticity, and a degeneration of the myelin sheath that covers the axons. 
which together make up the brain's white matter, disrupting the transmission of nerve signals. The climb starts in the cognitively critical frontal cortex, last to mature, first to go, but it winds up being most pronounced in the cortex, the movement necessary cerebellum, and the hippocampus, the brain's learning center and memory story site. But not everyone succumbs. The New England centenarian study suggests there are escapers who have no clinically detectable disease at any, of any kind at 100 and delayers who show no sign of any age-related disease until 80 or older. For these lucky folks, it is thought, morbidity, morbidity gets compressed at the tippy end of the lifespan. One of the most notable features of the brain is its furious consumption of energy. Although it accounts for 2% of body weight, it is so metabolically active that it burns 20% of the body's fuel. A great deal of evidence suggests that cognitive decline, including Alzheimer's disease, may be a metabolic disorder a disturbance in fuel operations by the brain. This process loses efficiency with age and is inherently influenced by what we eat. The very earliest changes caused by Alzheimer's disease are those affecting glucose, the brain's primary fuel researchers find. The raging metabolic furnace of the brain spews out highly unstable free radicals of oxygen that damage the machinery of cells and their protective membranes, the cumulative effects of which show up as slowing of functions and memory problems. A vigorous antioxidant defense is an essential way of buttressing the brain against neurodegeneration. This likely explains why studies link the Mediterranean diet to longevity in general and to protection against dementia specifically. Low rates of brain atrophy, reduced rates of Alzheimer's disease, and improved cognitive function. Compared to the standard Western diet, the Mediterranean diet features less meat, especially less red and processed meat, in favor of fish, Fewer simple carbohydrates, greater amounts of monounsaturated fats, notably olive oil, and significantly more plant-based foods, not just fruits and vegetables, but whole grains and nuts. The shift to plant-based foods ensures that a steady supply of agents is available to disarm free radicals, stimulate the removal of any damaged biomolecules, before they gum up cellular operations and maintain brain function. Fruits and vegetables are naturally rich in substances that act as antioxidants, notably polyphenols. Thousands of them are produced in plants to limit the damage done by adverse environmental conditions from poor soil and drought to excess sun and infestation by bugs. Consumed by humans, plant-based polyphenols can cross the blood-brain barrier, reduce oxidative stress, and ameliorate inflammation. They can also decrease cerebral blood flow, induce neurogenesis and plasticity in the hippocampus, and maintain the integrity of the white matter. 
good as the Mediterranean diet is, could its effects be even further amplified? A team of researchers from Harvard, the University of Leipzig in Germany, and Ben-Gurion University, led by Israel's Iris Shai, has tweaked the standard Mediterranean diet by nearly tripling the amount of polyphenols it supplies, creating the green Mediterranean diet. In a study of 284 people, all with abnormal, or excuse me, abdominal obesity, the team randomly assigned participants to follow either healthy dietary guidelines, the standard med diet, or the green med version for 18 months. The participants were middle-aged, averaging 50 years, just when brain atrophy accelerates, and all engaged in similar levels of physical activity provided on-site. The researchers found that the green med diet significantly attenuated brain atrophy, specifically hippocampal loss, as measured by MRI. The effect was correlated with other improvements as well, improved blood glucose control and insulin sensitivity, weight loss, and decreased blood pressure. White matter integrity improved too. Both med diet groups consume 28 grams a day of walnuts, providing 440 milligrams per day of polyphenols. What distinguishes the green med diet is further provision of 1,240 milligrams per day of polyphenols, three to four cups daily of green tea, rich in the polyphenol, EPA, gallocatrisin, gallate, and 100 grams of duckweed, which is much simpler to say. An aquatic plant traditionally consumed as a vegetable in Southeast Asia. It grows all over the world in still waters, and ducks and geese normally feed on it. It contains not only 200 polyphenols, among them camphorol, quercetin, and catechin, but unusual for a plant, complete protein with all nine essential amino acids. It's also rich in fiber, B vitamins, and minerals. The study incorporated a strain of duckweed called mankai, specifically developed to be protein-rich. Participants drink a green duckweed shake a day. The plant allows the green med diet to be as distinguishable for what's not in it, red and processed meat, as what it includes. The less meat participants consumed, the less brain atrophy they had. The less meat participants consumed, the less brain atrophy they had. Once more, for effect. The less meat participants consumed, the less brain atrophy they had. The researchers believe that long-term polyphenol enhancement potentiates the effects of a healthy lifestyle physical activity, and a Mediterranean diet. They deem it a powerful strategy to halt or even reverse the progression of both cognitive and cardiometabolic decline. Polyphenols are especially abundant in cocoa, berries, and spices such as clovers, as well as red wine, black olives, and green tea. They're also widely available as supplements. And speaking of supplements, 
This is in Psychology Today, May, June of 2023, under the Health Supplemental Science section. How to maintain your brain. Can a Mediterranean diet pumped up with plant polyphenols delay brain aging by Hara Estroff Marano? Aside from all of the brain, the brain glitches. <laughs> and I have exampled while reading the article. It was a pretty sound article. I thought it was really good advice. It's pretty simple and straightforward. I read three times what I took as one of the most salient features and easily, easiest, most easily or easily held to sort of pieces of advice. The less meat participants consume the less brain atrophy they have. Now, is she giving advice? No. Is psychology today giving medical advice? No. Am I giving medical advice? No. I'm just reporting what the research, I can get back to the beginning of the podcast, credibility, what the research tends to suggest. And with that, I'm offering, I suppose, a piece of advice, at least something to be aware of as you're consuming your next piece of red meat. <laughs> Consider this. Uh, how much you consume, I don't know. You would know how good it is, bad it is for you. I don't know. I'm not, my doctrine is not in medicine. It's in psychological counseling. So I am not going to give you medical advice, but I am going to use this, and it's a good article, right? It's in Psychology Today, so there's some relevance. It's got to do with the brain and brain functioning. Again, it's not only a matter of quality of life, quantity of life, but quality of life. And who wants dementia or Alzheimer's or would want to do anything to contribute to should there be some predisposition to those diseases in any particular individual or their genetic composition, who would want to do anything that would facilitate that? If you know something is not good for you, or if you know the research tends to suggest it may not be good for you in general, whether you do or you don't have the predisposition to some sort of cognitive decline, premature, outside of the normal scope of aging, even if you might be one of those lucky folks that would be either, what she you call them, a delayer. Uh, let me see if I can find what else it was called. Either someone which would either have a delay or their decline would happen. Escaper, that's what she called them. Somebody who would not have any of this. Why would you not want to do everything you can to be one of those individuals? If it's possible that you could be one, nobody's going to be able to tell you yay or nay, then Pascal's wager. <laughs> Don't do something that is going to, you know, obviously harm you. So what has this got to do outside of a more general sort of relatability to psychological counseling? Most specifically, if somebody gives you a good piece of advice, why would you not at least consider it and maybe make some modifications? That is the struggle with psychological counseling, whether it's talking about brain, biology, more the organic or the physiology, or whether it's just the more construct oriented sorts of things of psychology. 
such as identity, why would you not consider making modifications? But that is the struggle. Once it becomes part of who you are, once you form habits, what are they called now? What were once habits are now vices? You can't change them. It's hard to make those changes. Why? I would presume specifically, directly, because it is part of your identity. It's part of who you've become. You're a meat eater, and you're probably not going to go without meat. You're a smoker, and you probably are not going to go without a cigarette. Or you're a vapor, or you're whatever, whatever, whatever. And though all of those, we know, are not good for your health, I don't know about the vaping, but the other, the smoking and now the bread meat, uh, if you know it's going to make you better, why would you not at least consider making some modifications? Because it's part of who you are. And that is the cost. (laughs) To make a change, you have to give up something of who you are. Is it going to kill you? I don't know. It could. If you drive fast, it's who you are. If you're always in a hurry, that's who you are. If that's your personality or your horoscope sign, star sign, whatever you would believe, then, yeah, maybe you're going to give that up, but maybe you're not. And maybe then you're going to kind of justify that as, well, that's my horoscope. I'm an Aries. And by the way, I am. I could justify a lot of impetuous poor decisions. I could attribute a lot of stiff-necked sort of attitude. Uh, I could attribute a lot of hard-headedness to my astrological sign. (laughs) Whether it's true or not, it's a construct. Whether it's true or not, it's certainly relatable to me and my personality. Should I? Maybe. Is it deterministic? Is it determinism? Am I just that way because I've got an astrological sign that says I'm going to be that way characteristically, characterologically? I don't know. I would like to think I can make some changes and modifications. And that's why I seek, if I should, help in making those changes. That's why you would seek help in making those kind of changes because we would want to believe you could. But if I give you good advice... Are you going to do it? If I tell you to be aggressive is probably not to your advantage. To not communicate assertively, as with then run the risk of being passive or aggressive. To not be able to have empathy for others or demonstrate an ability to understand others' feelings or relate to others' feelings or with that their ideas, their perspectives, more cognitive sort of domains Uh, of communication, of existence, uh, and you don't, you continue to be passive or passive-aggressive, and it creates a lot of, unfortunately, poor coping or represents in poor coping a lot of problems, aspects of poor coping, then that's on you. I've given you the best advice I can Now, am I going to wrestle with you because that's become part of your personality? Or you can say, well, I was born that way. I'm unassertive. Uh, I don't believe in science. I'm a science denier. What do you want to call it? Uh, I'm contrarian. 
Uh, yeah, that may be true as with personality. But remember, if it's a construct, and personality is a psychological construct, so far there may be some genetic predispositions to personality or identity, certainly. We still think that those are not so set in stone that you can't make modifications or we just go out of business. I mean, we quit doing the psychological counseling altogether. Not only me, but whoever else is engaged in that field. Or you could just say, well, why don't you go get your horoscope today? Or why don't you go talk to somebody who is a psychic? I'm not saying there's not credibility in either of those. Again... Now that I've had the addition of a psychic, I'm just saying we'd be no better than that. But research, evidence-based findings, the research methodology, science itself holds us different or in distinction to or distinguishable from horoscopes and psychics. Psychology Today reports sound research, evidence, research methodology, model, evidence-based findings. That's what we do. Otherwise, we're no better than astrology or astrologers, I guess. It'd be okay, astrology. Uh, I don't want to take anything away from the science of astrology, but those who would believe in horoscopes or psychics or whomever that might operate in the paranormal, parapsychological sort of realm. It's sound stuff. But even then, I can tell you, and I might get more traction if I were a psychic, or I've told you that, or I talked of some supernatural power to change you, I might be able to persuade you more that way, or that it's written in the stars, than to come right out and say, hey, it's a choice. This is what we know. This is the, these are the findings. These are the, the facts. This is the best that we have in terms of what our theory at this point, seems to believe cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavior therapy. This is what we think uh, psychology as a construct, or at least identity and personality as aspect of that construct. Even with a disease model, such as personality disorder, there's still some genetic, maybe predisposition that is yet to be established. But even so, predispositions don't mean that you have to turn out that way. Or if you have a predisposition, why would you not do everything you could so that if you knew what that would be in a fatalistic or deterministic sort of direction would take you to some place of sickness, why would you not want to change it? Don't smoke. Don't eat red meat. (laughs) And do the green med diet, at least suggesting such. And then again, I've read you all those things that that encompasses and should you want to read it for yourself, go get the article. Go get Psychology Today, May, June 2023, that edition, and look up the article. Go online. You can go online and look it up. I give you the author's name. Uh, She can provide you with all the specific studies uh, that go into her reporting, uh, the facts or the data as they are, and free of, I believe, as much as it could be, any sort of personal bias or opinion. She didn't seem to have an angle when she did this presentation, but neither do I. I just want to do what's best for you, and I'm going to give you a choice. But in the end, you have to do it. In the end, I can't do it for you. 
In the end, I can't conjure up some sort of metaphysical power besides that which is in you to do it. But the one thing I can ask you to do is don't be a failure. <laughs> and I'm going to shift this gear and then we'll finish the podcast for today. A lot of people end up with some sort of a failure identity. Failure becomes attached to their personality and identity. So even when you offer them a way to succeed, even if you offer them a way out, even if you could supply them with more information, a better perspective, more empirically sound evidence, a better theory, a better basis for the recommendation, the good advice, they still aren't going to take it because they're so bound up. And not only that, those things that are vices, the bad habits, being part of the personality, but now they've gotten to a point in their life where they expect failure. That is the most difficult thing to overcome. It's to help somebody believe that they could be different and that being different could provide them an opportunity to succeed, to be adaptive. To have whatever it is that they measure contentment, satisfaction. I'd like to go with happiness, joy. I like to go with quality as well as quantity of life. But if I'm offering you that and you're constantly rejecting it or you're trying to argue and prove me wrong, I'm not going to argue with you. It's not my job. My job is to present the facts and you get to make the decision. And if I think you've got a failure identity and you think it's just part of your personality or you're just born to fail, well, I've got to tell you, I don't think yet that failure identity or failure personality is in the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual published by the American Psychiatric Association. Why? Because, again, if that were true and in some ways all humanity is bound to fail... And then we documented that, and that was the basis of our theory, and we came to the conclusion no matter how hard we tried, no matter what we offered, it wasn't going to matter. Why did we do it? Why would we even do it? Why would we even begin to sit down and discuss change? You're just the way you are, and you're going to end up that way. That's fatalism. That's determinism. I like it that we have choices. I like it that I could exercise brain power when my brain is operating, right? When I'm on the green med diet, uh, which I'm not endorsing because I don't use that necessarily. But I do think the advice, I think that's good advice. I may try to make some modifications to my own personal diet now that I've read the article. But I'm not endorsing a particular diet. All I'm saying is when your brain is working and you're presented the facts... And it is within that context of sound empiricism or sound research, empirical sort of pursuit, thesis, hypothesis, allowing the facts, testing the hypothesis to be applied to facts, to be arranged with some sort of a anticipation in mind, not of what we're going to find, but what really isn't going to be there, the null hypothesis then at least use that perspective, that template, to conduct your own experiments. <laughs> Hypothetical deductive reasoning. Logic. Rational. <laughs> not 
emotive for emotional only. There's going to always be some emotion in that. Emotion provides motive. (laughs) Pain is not entirely bad for you, except that you would take it to an extreme. And then it can be very bad for you, depending on who you are and what it is that your end goal would be. But we don't want you to be a martyr either. We just want you to learn. Use science. Strong, sound methodology. Thesis. Let the facts either support or discount your hypothesis so that you're really pursuing as best you can what all of that means or comes to, and that's truth. Apply it to your life. If you live your life that way, you'll probably have much more success. And isn't that, again, what we're after? And should you be after something like this, I'd like to invite you. You can reach out to me. I mean, I'd be glad to communicate with you. The Word House at Frontier.com, 304-523-WORD-9673. You can also look us up on the web at thewordhouse.com. Uh, And should you be more interested in just finding a provider, uh, go to the Psychology Today directory of providers. Uh, Just go into Psychology Today and you'll find an icon or a button to click or push, so to speak, and it'll take you right to the directory. And you can find providers. And since we're living in an age where we're not really as bound by geography as we were You may choose to do virtual versus in person, but either way, you'll find a plethora, plenty of individuals who are vetted, at least in the sense of credible licensure. They meet all the qualifications. They're current in that uh, to practice. (laughs) so, So you can read their bios, you can see their faces, and you can understand a little bit about their theoretical orientation and make a good sound decision on whether you want to try them. There's good help out there. You just have to do your part. But should you also want to come back to the podcast? Word with Dr. Michael David Clay, I'd like to invite you back. Uh, It's a service to the community. It's part of my ethics. (laughs) My... Uh, professional ethics to contribute in some sort of meaningful way to society. (laughs) This is my meaningful way. And with that, not to be uh, so connected to profiteering from it that it would have secondary gain. I don't have secondary gain. This is all for public consumption. And I think psychology today is a pretty good resource. Is it maybe like a lot of the journals that you would find? Uh, maybe not like a lot of them. A lot of them are going to be much more inclined to have more of the statistical renderings, uh, the data, the findings, the abstracts. And that's all good if you want to read that. But for somebody who's just kind of interested in a more general presentation, it's all sound. But it's easy to listen to, and it's easy to understand, and it's easy for me to communicate, except when I get those really difficult medical words. And they're all tongue twisters for me. I trip over my own tongue, as would represent then me tripping over my own axons and dendrites and myelinization and myelin sheath. My brain is what I'm trying to capture. But you're welcome to come back. We drop the podcast every week. In the meantime, I want to wish you not only a good 
mind health, but I'd like to wish you good health. And with that, I want to say sincerely, thanks for joining us today on Word with Dave Clay. Until our next podcast, next episode. Thanks.